0: Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a great episode, especially if you are in the new new economy and you're struggling with career uh, chaos. Because a lot of us, a lot of people are quitting jobs, getting jobs. Some people I know, a guy I just talked to, has been in 14 different jobs in the last two years. So we're definitely going to be talking about what is career chaos How to Get Out of It or How to Avoid It altogether? with my brother, Vincent. He's got an amazing book that just dropped. I love it. I got it on. I just started reading it. It's it's an amazing read. He's got an amazing podcast. He does it all. I mean, he's a Swiss Army knife. He does it all. So, Vincent, welcome to the show, brother. Richard, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Oh, man, this is going to be a fun episode. Um, You know, a lot of people... Like when we get out of the military, we don't, you know, we lose our mission. We lose our job. uh, We have no money a lot of times. And we just don't know where to go. So we take whatever job, you know, we take warehouse, stocking, whatever it is. And then we have a 20, 30 year career of just going from job to job to job. So what exactly is career chaos? Yeah, the career chaos, even in terms of that
1: term that it came up, as we, were, as we were talking about it is, is really about that crossroads. And what I realized was there was always a crossroads in, in my career. There have, been, there have been a dozen of them since I started. And it's that moment where it's like, I can go this way. I'm not sure I want to go that direction, or I can go this way. And I have to make a choice where I'm going. And it's in those crossroad moments, whether it's me or people that I've coached or people I've talked with, those are the pivotal moments in our career though that's when it happens when it's like am i going to stick with the status quo am i going to do what's simple and easy to make money am i going to push the boundaries to go where maybe i'm scared or i'm i'm fearful but i i need to make that next level leap to what i want to do with my life and who as what you were talking about even before i went to coffee who i want to serve and who it is that i want to lead going forward and it's so easy to stick back on the well, this is what pays the bills: short-term thinking. Which there's, you know, when you when you're in it, you have to do it. But I wanted to get to a point in my life when I went through this so often that there were two days that matter. And this is what I this is what I say to myself every day: the only two days that matter for me are today and three years from today. And when I say that, I mean today. I don't need anything. If I want to eat something, if I want to whatever whatever I really want to do, what do I really need today? It's not much because we set it up for that. Everything I do, including this interview and this conversation, is how is it going to make life better for me and other people three years from today? Meaning I'm not working with any desperation. And there were so many years where I did, where I was in that career crossroads where it was like, just got to get it done today. Just got to get things started. The further you can move that apart, meaning I'm good today. I'm content, but not satisfied. Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not desperate today, but there are things that I have to do to move forward. Then you start thinking longer term, like I'm cool. I'm not going to be desperate today. I'm not going to sacrifice long-term things for short-term gains. I'm going to build out towards the future. And that's where the whole career chaos is. If you can get to that point and you can start planning and, and, and adjusting that way, you will consistently be ahead of the game.
0: You know, and now I, I just got done reading a book for the third time. Uh, it's called Atomic Habits by mm-hmm. Mr. James Clear. And he talks about how what you do today is going to affect you three or five years down the road. So say, it's okay, all right, you have a candy bar today. You know, then you have a candy bar tomorrow. And then, you know, after 365 days eating candy, now you're you're pre-diabetic. And then five years down the road, you're having vision problems. So what you do today will actually determine whether you fail or win five years down the road. So take us back to Vince. Where do you come from? Where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to these realizations? Yeah, it was a long time coming. This is
1: not like, oh, a revelation. This, is, this has been a long time and a lot of pain. Um, I come from New York. I'm, I'm originally from Long Island in Queens and struggled, struggled my entire youth. Um, learned later, and I'm, I've never been diagnosed, but I'm an ADHD entrepreneur. And what I've learned is the more that I meet people like that, that have a lot of ideas, kind of high energy, but scatterbrained, like we can't stay on one thing very long. We were the ones that, struggled in school had great ideas were very creative but never went with the system and i remember just thinking i need to get out like i remember even as a senior in high school a friend saying like what are you gonna do and i and i said to him clearly i have no idea but i'll figure something out and i remember walking away thinking why was i so confident when i said that because my grades didn't show it no accolades showed that i should be that confident but i knew i could have conversations with adults I knew it. I knew I would I would talk to 45-year-olds and I would make them laugh or I'd make them think, but in school it didn't work out because it was grades based and it was following the rules based. I knew I wasn't gonna follow rules. I knew I had to do my own thing. So I struggled for a long time. I got arrested, I was in lots of trouble during my youth, you know, early teens, late 20s. And it wasn't until excuse me, it wasn't until early 20s where after I had been in trouble a bunch. And I continued to get in trouble that I, I came back and I actually moved back in with my parents. And I got I had a nightmare that I got caught stealing again because I was stealing. That's where I, how I got arrested from from where I worked. I, I would overcharge the customers at the convenience stores. It was, a, it was a baloney little thing that I did, but it made us some extra cash. It was, you know, unethical, low morals. That's what we dealt with, even in terms of my whole connection. And I woke up in the middle of the night in a nightmare. And my dad, I went downstairs and my dad saw me and he said, I-, I said, I said, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And it was the first time I ever worried about it. it the first time ever. And he said to me very simply, he said, Hey, you know, you like traveling. You like taking pictures. You love sports. Cause that's all I really did. Sports and music. And he said, why don't you become a photographer? And it was one of those weird things where after going through six different jobs. So I very much relate to even leaving the military and bouncing around. I went through all these different jobs, different majors in college, just going nowhere it was the first time I was like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to make this happen. I had nothing to lose. It was a beautiful situation when I look back because I had failed so much that there were no expectations on me at all. So basically, if you have no expectations on yourself, and I know this is counter to a lot of the entrepreneurial world, but I had a blank slate slate to do whatever I wanted to do. I didn't worry about, oh, my parents paid for college or I had this pedigree or I have this, you know, I've built up towards this career. I I had nothing. So when you have nothing, what do you want to do? What would you like to create? Well, my dream job is to be on the field photographing sports around the country. That's what I loved. So it's was like, is that really even a job? But what I did was I went all in. I bought tickets to games in New York. I snuck down to the front row. I would quiz the photographers every night. I would bring in my pictures. I would ask them. They'd be in the photo well next to the dugout and I would be asking them questions. Literally, those connections, those conversations led to a free internship and then another free internship with the National Hockey League and then... A, 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 a minimum wage job and then a career and then all of a sudden next thing I know I'm international sports photographer of the year and I'm college photographer of the year when I went back to school which led to a 22 year, 22 year career as a, as a journalist and a sports photographer so that's kind of how
0: this all began so then okay you're doing all these things yeah. but there's always something else there's always more and I, and I think a lot of us, you know, like, you know, I was a soldier for 23 years. I can either say, you know, when somebody asks me, well, what do you do? Well, I'm retired, the army. Or I can say now that, you know, I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I'm a podcast host. Mm-hmm. Um, but so a lot of people, they get stuck in what they used to be. Totally. And they don't, you know, they, they don't know how to recreate and reimagine themselves. So talk to us after a 22-year career to start reinventing yourself again. Yeah, that, that's one of those crossroad moments. It was
1: one of those. And, and I kept looking back. I'm like, man, you can really chart this out to the moments that had the best stories that are the most impactful are those crossroad moments. Career cast, not sure what to do next. Very content, right? We could have wrote it out. I could have kept doing photography, got paid very well. It was cool assignments. We did the sports and weddings and commercial. But I was dissatisfied. I was bored. I was I was not challenged any longer. And I, every time I tried to challenge myself for a couple of years, let's try a different style. Let's do a different part of the industry. Eventually I was like, I remember the night when it happened. I'll never forget. We were photographing a wedding. We're getting paid good money. Right? And the DJ is sitting there and I'm in between this is before the reception. So we're eating dinner. We get fed dinner before the reception and I'm eating and he's eating and he's telling me about how how difficult the business is for him. And he's a good DJ. I mean, he's the one that we all looked up to. And I start talking to him I start giving him suggestions and he's like all ears. And I'm not a coach, right? But he's all ears and he's like, what about this? And we start, and so the, for an hour, we're doing this. And then he looks at me and he goes, oh man, I gotta go turn the music on. The reception's gonna start. I wish we could do this longer. And he got up and he left and I said, yeah, I wish. I wish I could too. And as the reception started, I got to get in there and the, it was the first time my entire career, I was like, I don't want to go out there. I don't want to do that anymore. I said, I want to do this. So I got home that night. I told my wife, I said, I think I'm done. And it was the two of us together, you know, but, but I had photographed a lot of the weddings because we started having kids and she was home more and she said, well, what do you, what do you, okay. So what are you, what are you going to do? And I said, what I did with that DJ, if I could figure out how to make a living doing that, I would be so into it, like helping people and through conversation and and solving people's problems, I feel like a vendor behind this camera. I feel like I don't matter, and that's what I started feeling like. That's why I lost interest. Now this whole new career, right? How do you start it? I don't know where to go. I don't know how to get paid from it. I don't know how to get clients. But that was inherently more exciting to me than doing what I was doing with good money. And that's when I knew, you know, if I'm more excited about the free thing than I am excited about the paid thing, I know I got to start paying attention to that. And that was where the transition started from photography into the world that I'm in now.
0: You know, and I love that. You know, I just released an episode with a gentleman named David Meltzer. Um he they actually wrote the movie Jerry Maguire about him and Lee Steinberg. Oh, wow. And he about how he got to up to a point where he was his company was worth a hundred million dollars and he was so unhappy that he told his wife when he got home, he's like, I'm done. I want something. I want to do something different. So he made the hundred million, lost a hundred million. Now he's back up to where his company's worth twenty billion. But he's happy. He's enjoying life. He has gratitude. And I think a lot of us, like I said, we get stuck in what we were, and we're afraid to branch out and start something new. And you know, a lot of times, there's you know, your your wife or your cousins are gonna look at you like you lost your mind. Like when I say, well, I'm going to start podcasting and people are like, well, who the hell wants to hear from you? You know, but now I get to interview people like you and Mr. Meltzer and Tony Watley and John Lee Dumas, you know, athletes. So sometimes you got to step out on faith and believe in yourself. And now, so when you first started to, to learn about the whole coaching thing, how did you go about it? Did you have, do a lot of research, a lot of books, a lot of questions and answerings? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's what I realize.
1: It's the same with every, with every new step. And so many people always say, like, I'll never work for free. Always charge what you're worth. I am so not in that camp. I think back to seven different career transfers, and every one of them, as much as this is going to annoy people, started for free in one way or the other. Talk to any author, beginning author. They give their book away. They speak for free. They mm-hmm. code for free. Photographers shoot for years right you think about musicians and and nobody even thinks about this you name your favorite band everybody's like oh they're you know whatever it is and they're playing you know tours all over the world and they got all these i can guarantee you for the most part they started playing clubs for nothing they started playing clubs for for beer money or just exposure or just somebody to talk about them so many people are afraid to start at the start and I'm not afraid to start the start. So for me, it was I'll coach. I, I wanted to get better at it. I wanted to even know if I liked it and I didn't want the pressure of, well, you're paying me a couple hundred dollars. I better deliver when I don't even know if I'm any good at this. So start having conversations. Start, you know, people that can use, Just sit down and be curious. Start, a good coach is just curious. You ask good questions. You're interested in what they're talking about and you try to work them through that. So that's how it started for me. And it started that way where it's like, wow, this really helped me. Can I, can I hire you for this? Or I know someone that needs you for this. And that's literally how it began just like everything else. But I think a lot of people want to start because well, I put in so many years doing this, I deserve to start here. No, when you go to the next thing, even though you're not starting over, you kind of are, you're starting over with new connections. You have the same old connections and you have more of a network each time, but man, you know, for me, it's the ones that I see fail. They have expectations from the beginning, of what they are deserved from their past and they don't wind up putting in the deep work foundational work early on to build it
0: and also i think you know like i, I i'm from new jersey so obviously we probably went to the same places you know eight same restaurants um i'm a little bit older than you so i went to some of the clubs in new york mm-hmm. and you know back in the day you know some of the clubs some of the bands actually had to pay to play yeah you know you actually had to pay them to get on Lemoore's in Brooklyn, you know, some of those other places. And so sometimes a lot, I think a lot of people, they don't want to invest in themselves. You know, they don't want to invest in a coach. They don't want to invest, you know, and like somebody told me people that pay, I mean, people that, that, that pay, that play people that pay, pay attention. So true. So if, you know, like everybody says, I think everybody needs a coach. And for me, like, I'm a big sports geek, and it's amazing when you get a guy like Tom Brady that has six Super Bowl rings or seven. I forget how many, but he wants to be coached. Totally. You know, so talk to us about those people that, you know, because I talk to a lot of people. I'm a coach myself. And they're like, no, I don't need a coach. I'm good. And then five years later, they're like, bro. and And I say, I thought you were good, you know? And they don't, they don't go anywhere because they don't invest, you know, they'd rather buy a $13 iPhone mm-hmm. instead of paying $500 to be in a mastermind with somebody. Well, what I've learned through the frustration of doing this, cause I used to try to convince people.
1: And what I learned is you can't help people that don't want to be helped. So if somebody comes to me and they go, Hey, they want to pick my brain for free and they don't want to invest anything. I, you know, I'll have a conversation with anybody. I won't have multiple conversations coaching right that's that, that's that's kind of abuse right there, but when when somebody says you know when somebody says, "Well, I don't need it, that's great. I really want to work with people that want to be helped. That's what I want because I want people that are that are in the game and they're taking action i'm not here to I tried so long to convince people it never ever works and to, to your point in terms of I've always done it we've always done masterminds, I've been in masterminds for about six or seven years now. The connections that come from it are. Ridiculous, because you're also around other people willing to invest in themselves. That's what most people don't see. It's not just the coaching that happens. It's the person that runs it is curating a group of other people that invest in themselves as well, that are, that are pushing forward. So you get to be around those people in an intimate setting that you wouldn't get going to the mall, right? No. It's like a conference. Just went to PodFest, and man, you go in this room with 1,500 people, and they're all kind of going after it. Everywhere you turn is a, is a really cool conversation. As opposed to going down the road to the mall, I'm going to have a hard time having conversations with people that are driven, that have these ideas, that are into this world. That what they've done is they've curated these people into one spot for you to meet with them and connect. Same thing with a mastermind. Same thing with a community like that. You get to be around these people. You surround yourself. And also by charging for it, which I have no problem paying for it, because you're vetting out people that expect it for free. And usually people that expect it for free will really hardly ever invest because they they just expect to get it. So I've always wanted to elevate. There's a guy named Bill Convos who was in our group for a while. And he did a great thing. He goes, I never wait in line. He told me. I said, What do you mean? He goes, He goes to Ohio State games. I'm not waiting in line. My time is too precious. So I said, So what do you do? And so I go there and I go to the front of the food line and I ask the guy in front, what are you buying? What are you eating and he'll tell me like two hamburgers a couple of hot dogs and a soda he goes well if i buy your food will you buy my food you know well, i give you the money you pay for both you're at the front of the line the guys he's like, i never had anybody turn me down because you're paying for their food but for a little extra money he goes to the front of the line shortens the line and gets to his seat for kickoff he goes my time is too valuable i consider it the same thing with entrepreneurship time is very valuable and if i can pay to get to the front and if i can pay to get around people that are doing the things that i want to do I can't think of a better investment with in my money.
0: You know, and, and I, I definitely believe that. And like, for instance, I was with GNC for over 30 years and it was a small mom and pop that I worked with. And, you know, we're doing, you know, we're doing a million, million and a half a year. I think we're doing great. And then I got a chance to go to another company. I mean, I, to go visit and they're doing a million a month. Hmm. And then it changes your whole perspective. So like when I have friends like John Lee Dumas and his podcast is getting a million downloads a month and he's making over a hundred million a year from his podcast, it broadens your horizons. You don't start, you you're thinking, you're not thinking like, you're not thinking small anymore. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And you're so, pushing the boundaries of what you think is even
1: possible yeah. because if you're hanging around with people that don't think that are like, Oh, why we, why would you even bother? Why would you start a podcast, Richard? You're, you know, what's, who's going to listen to you? Or you hang around with people like, why wouldn't you do it? Like, why would you not try it? I love to fail. I I, I really do. I had a thing when I was starting photography. I I remember it. I had failed at everything so far. Like all my career and school aspirations, I had failed. And when I went to do the photography side of it, it was the first thing I wanted to do. I was actually cool. I was actually excited about. And I said to myself, I'm probably going to fail. I failed at everything so far. But at least this time, I'm going to fail at something cool. And that was one of the greatest things I ever told myself because every step of the way, can you write a book? Well, I'm not a writer. I'm not an author. My English teacher would laugh if they ever found that I was writing a book from school, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I might fail, but it's something cool. Like I'm going to be able to write a book. And and if nobody knows about it, at least I tried, at least I failed at something cool. I don't want to fail at something I don't want to do, but failure with something that I really want to try just knowing that. I'm all in because I'm going to learn a ton from it. And what happens when you do that is you rarely fail because you really want to make it work. So you put the extra effort in all the time.
0: You know, and I think, you know, kind of like photography, um, you know, once you have that camera and you see, and even if it just says press Mm -hmm. on, on on the placard in your front, you have a platform. And it seems like once you have a platform, people kind of gravitate towards you. You know it's it's, I mean? so, it's funny. I got asked to speak for the new
1: book um, to it like in an, an executive book club last week. Never heard of the guy. He found my book through somebody in Saudi Arabia who recommended it to their spouse, who then recommended to him. Like, okay, that's pretty cool. It, the book's only been out a couple weeks. Um, and what he said to me was this: it was really interesting. I think most people that have platforms or are building it should think about this. He said, "We need to talk to you because you're the one that wrote the book on this." And I was like, "Huh." That's an interesting phrase because we used it like they wrote the book on this subject. Well, when you write the book in your genre, in your niche, other people see you as an authority. Even if you don't see yourself that way, they're like, well, they're the one that wrote the book on it, right? Podcasting or whatever it would be. And it elevates you in their eyes. Like you just said, like you've got a platform now that people see and you might not take yourself too seriously. You might think, I'm not even sure, but other people, if the word gets out and you wrote the book on this thing, we need to, we need to talk to you and all of a sudden
0: you've been elevated up in all these other people's minds. And that's when the momentum starts. Yeah. Vertical momentum. Uh, But, uh, but, you know, like they say, the word authority, you know, the word author is a short for the word authority. So when you write a book, like I, my book hit number one twice on Amazon. So when somebody says, you know, what do you know about addiction? Oh, I wrote the book on it. Wrote the book on it? Yeah. and, And, and it shows social proof. And I think a lot of people, you know, they don't realize that how important social proof is, you know, like building relationships like Like, just say, if if you if you're nobody and you wrote a book and somehow Oprah Winfrey got a copy of that book and said on her show, you need to get this book automatic bestseller, no doubt about it. Cause you built those, you know, you're building relationships and it's a lot of it has to do with relationship capital. Agree. Oh, totally. And that's, that's what my
1: book is. The wealth of connection. That's what it's about. Cause what you're talking about there is collaboration, which is the fourth part of five in the book. When you, when you have character, when you are trusted, right. When you have goals that are generous goals, helping other people, not just your own selfish goals. When you're curious about other people and you're curious about topics and, and you can create content that way, you can form great conversations that way that leads to connection, right? Connection's great, right? And that's where it goes to. But what really gets special is once you have that connection and it grows out like what you're talking about, collaboration is when everything just expands just exponentially. Because by you having me on your show, it's introducing me to an entire audience of people that don't know who I am or I might not know who they are. And that's an ability to form future connections going forward. Then when you go to create something, whether it's a book, or a podcast, or a business, it's so much easier when you do it that way. Because now with that collaboration, that connection, that curiosity, people know who you are, people trust you because of your network around you. And they're more than willing a, to share it and buy it because of the recommendations of others, as opposed to what most people do, which is let me create a podcast, or let me write a book, let me shut everybody out of my life, and let me just do the content and create it. And then when it's all done, I'm going to come to you and say, hey, Richard, promote my book, I don't know who you are. And you're going to be like, I never met you before. I'm not going to introduce you to my platform when I don't even know who you are. This is how most people go about it and they get frustrated. That's why even in terms of writing this book was to turn that whole thing around.
0: All right. So before we get there, I want to thank our sponsors for today. As you guys know, um, I love my energy drinks, but I'm only allowed to have one a day. So I created my own. Um, It's called vertical momentum coffee. It's a pre-workout coffee, twice the amount of caffeine, no crash tastes amazing if you love dark roasts. And the great thing about it is 100% of my proceeds go to help veterans that are struggling with homelessness and also PTSD. So I don't make any money off it. I make zero dollars off of it. So if you love coffee, if you love coffee with a mission, write coffee down below and and I'll I'll send you the information. Um, So now talk about your book. Talk about your podcast, because for me, I'm a big collaboration guy. You know, um, even when I when I was I grew up in the music scene in New Jersey, New York, I loved when bands would get together and collaborate. I just thought it was amazing because then you're getting two different audiences smashing them together and and you're and you can grow, you know, so much more. So talk about your book and your podcast. Yeah. I mean, the book is is,
1: this is the book I believe I was meant to write. This is my second book. Excuse me. I wrote a book called Freelance to Freedom, which is about how to take your, you know, what you're talking about, right? That career chaos and how to build a life of freedom in, in terms of a career from that. But this book, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a cough. Um, but this book is to my heart. I wrote it for three years because I really think this is a missing piece for so many people in terms of how they go about building a career and building a network. So many people go at it with a, how do I get what I want from this? How do I build this thing? How do I grow my own audience without thinking, how am I doing this collaboratively? Collaboratively, how am I doing this with the benefit of others, with others' blessing, with the referrals of other people? Because that's where it comes from. Eighty-seven percent of jobs are filled through referrals, all the time. We know seventy-five percent of seventy-five percent of podcasts are found because of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. But yet we blow that stuff off. We just say oh, that's not important. I'm going to go build a, a funnel, or I'm going to do all this stuff that people don't care about. People aren't into. They're into who you are. This the whole saying. They, they they never know how much, people don't care, know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's saying that we hear all the time. But I think we, we give lip service to that so often. We're thinking, oh, yeah, I get that, but I really need to get my stuff going. So what I wanted to do is, the idea behind this book was, I wanted to make the business world less selfish. What I see so often is just a reach out, how do I get what I want, short-term thinking. And if you can write a book that highlights, here are the foundational pieces, your character curiosity when you don't have character and you don't have curiosity, your connection's not going to go very far. It's just not. You're, you're going to get, you can have a lot of charisma, but like I said, there's charisma is not character. And I think a lot of times we get fooled by that. We get fooled by the really charismatic person, but they don't have the deep character within it. So when you can come out of it with those two and you can make those connections, that's every every career we've ever done was based on that. Every piece of it was based on those foundational pieces Connections, people referring you, reaching out to people, giving without expectation, leading to what you just talked about, collaboration, then leading to anything that you do works better because of it. So that's the idea. Like I said, that's the idea of the book. Um, I'd be
0: happy to talk about anything about it. So, okay, now talk about, because for me, I wrote my book, it's been three years now, and it was very cathartic for me, but it also ripped open a lot of wounds that I needed to heal. Um, so it became a, a, a big learning experience, and you know. And then once your book is out, everybody sees, "Oh, you got a book out on Amazon. You must be rich." And you're like, "No, no.
1: Uh,
0: I'm putting in more work than I'm actually making." So you know, talk to us about you know people like writing a book or a podcast because they're both ones. One's the written form; one is a verbal form. You know, once you put it out on iTunes. It doesn't mean people are gonna listen no and you might hear crickets because you're not promoting it you're not out there hustling grinding talking to people building relationships so talk about those you know either either or or both yeah it, they, they go in together
1: for me and you learn from your own mistakes you learn from other people's mistakes john rulin who wrote the book giftology gave me some really great advice with the second book he said um he wrote a book called giftology that's now selling better in its sixth year that it did in the very beginning, which is uncommon in in this world. Um, And what he said was, he's friends with Hal Elrod, who wrote The Miracle Morning, and he said, Hal's book didn't start taking off, until getting momentum until about the fifth year. That's when that started, and it's now the best-selling self-published book, I believe in history, is what they said at this point. Um, But it took five years. So what would expect me to think, oh, I'm going to just launch a book and... It's just gonna keep selling. Now you can get an initial push, right? But how's it doing month three? How's it doing month six? How's it doing month 12? So I adopted what John talked about, which is a five-year launch. And this is the most fun part about what I'm doing is a five-year launch is basically saying, this: we're, we're gonna do the work for five years consistently, daily and weekly to get this book. So it's not about a big launch. I don't, I, don't, I had no interest in a, in a huge launch. It's a, it's a marathon. You know, I photographed the New York City Marathon many times. Nobody comes out of the starting gate when they when they shoot the gun, start celebrating. Nobody. Nobody starts out that way. You're going to go now do the work. It's just like the launch. So it's why why would I come out of the gate celebrating? No. Now's the time to do the work, meaning consistent action I'm going to put in. So I do twenty five actions a day minimum on my book, meaning whether it's about reviews, whether it's selling books, selling books in bulk, speaking, writing content every day. So I have 20, 125 a week that I want to do in terms of touch points, in terms of action steps. That's my way of building a five-year launch because I've seen way too many people put three years into a book, write the book, do do the editing, spend all the money, and then get to New York, get get to number one bestseller on Amazon, whatever it is, and then three weeks later stop doing any work. It's like the work was done. No. If you put this much time into your book, you should at least put that much time into marketing the book and getting it out there. So that's my goal. So I'm, I'm six weeks into this, Richard. I feel like I'm just beginning because there's so many different areas to, to do with this book, to get this out there. I find it so exciting, but it's not about um, short-term gains at all.
0: You know, and I like what you're talking about. You know, you're putting in the reps, you know, you're, you're getting, every day you're hitting goals. You know, you're getting out there, you're on podcast, you're, you know, and getting reviews. Now, that's one thing I think 90% of authors, I think, screw it up. Is <laughs> They don't ask for reviews. Yeah. Even on a podcast. Like I've been on and I've now I've got 400 something episodes. I've been on a bunch of episodes. And then I look and they've got, you know, they've been had a, a podcast for the last three years and they got four reviews. Mm hmm. And you're like, but don't you realize that every time you get a positive review, it's worth so much. But if you get a written review on iTunes, it's worth so much more. And I think a lot of people, you know, even on Amazon, they don't realize how much Amazon looks at their reviews to say if Ed Milet's got a new book out. And if you have a lot of reviews, it's going to suggest your book along with Ed Milet's book. But if you got zero reviews. Your book's not going to go anywhere ever.
1: It's it's the I think it's one of the main things that podcasters and authors screw up on, that they have complete, um, I don't want to say control, but ability to control the situation. If you're in touch with your audience, if you have a wealth of connection, if you if it's not just about selling and it's about caring, you're going to hear from people that read your book. You're going to hear from people that listen to your podcast. You're going to why you wouldn't take the simple time to write those names down keep track of who's talking to you about your book and keep in touch with them. And then if they really like it, I'm, I have no problem asking for something for free to ask Richard to leave me a review. If you read my book, I'm not asking you to pay for anything. You probably already bought the book. It's a disservice to your future clients and people that are going to possibly find your book or won't find your book by not asking for that review. I truly believe it. I ask every day, but I don't ask out of the blue. I don't ask somebody to write a review for a book they didn't read, and I don't ask anything phony. It's hey, if you if if I see that you commented on some other link that you bought my book, if you reached out to me about it, <clears throat> if you commented on one of my posts about it, if you if, you know anything, you now are going to be somebody that I'm going to keep in touch with, because I'm going to say hey, would you leave a review? It's really beneficial to the algorithms, and almost every time people have said they they will, and they usually do, but the problem is nobody thinks to do it on their own. People just don't think it's important. We have to let them know that it's important. And so i that's one thing I'm not shy about at all because I know getting 200, 300, 500 reviews in my book, like you said, is going to get it seen by more people. But I don't know why you would spend so much time on a book and not ask for the reviews. Then One of the, you think about when you go to Amazon, if it's a recommendation, you know the title of the book, how many other things are there that are going to gauge you, that they're going to let you, you know, kind of influence you to buy it? Reviews is one of the top three. When people see, hey, there's 220 and they're five star, and I'll read some of them,
0: or there's three, and I'm like, yeah, that must not be a very good book. Yeah, and like you said, a lot of a lot of people just don't know to leave a review. You know, you just don't know. The average person doesn't know. But no. for me, um, I actually have a uh, a way that I get 100 percent of people to uh, when I ask them to leave a review, 100 percent do. You really? yep and but and i'm but i'm grateful you know i'm thankful for when they do do it but so now what is the name of your book what is your name of your podcast Yep. how do we find them yeah the name of the book is called the wealth of connection
1: and the, the reason why i'm coy on the podcast is because we are making the transition i've been doing the total life freedom podcast for almost three years now it's a daily short form show um which has been amazing so we're almost 1200 episodes in after three years, I'm kind of going through one of those crossroads where I'm like, that I'm not sure this is where, where I want to keep going with it. So what we're doing is we're transferring that and on brand transferring that to the Wealth of Connection, which is going to be interviews plus solo shows. That'll be changing in July. So I've been on a three-year run of daily episodes, which has been phenomenal. I mean, a lot of that content led to the book, but there's a transition going on as we speak to, to put everything around the Wealth of Connection.
0: So that's, that's where you'd find it. All right. So then how do we find you and how do we support your mission? Oh, thank you. Um, the, everything that's built around Total
1: Life Freedom, that's the name of the business. That's the name of our mastermind and, and, and the formal podcast. Um, so TotalLifeFreedom.com is the website where everything's at. Um, if you want to check out the book, it's on Amazon. It's, it's published through KDP. So it's, it's right through them. Um, and then the, the Total Life Freedom podcast, which will be the Wealth of Connection podcast on the website on iTunes. You can
0: find them there. I love it. I love it. I love it. I And Vincent, I just want to say thank you. Um, and people know when you come on my show, today is the relationship just starts today. And I'm interested in building generational relationships. So, and I, and I just want to say uh, thank you so much for coming on and hanging out. Uh, thanks so much for having me. This has been a blast. Thank you. So, you guys, you definitely need to pick up his book. Um, I love it. I think I'm on by page 29, I think. So, I'm I'm, I'm I'm getting through it, but I'm the kind of guy that I want to read it. I want to outline it. I want to highlight it. So I want to learn it. You know, I want to absorb it. So it takes me a little bit longer, but I want to remember it and then put the work, put the action in that you talk about. So I'm Thank actually you. applying the stuff that you're teaching me. I still appreciate you reading. I, I really do. So I appreciate you guys. Just remember, um, like I, I always say, I love this quote by Oprah Winfrey. Um, the best way to help your, yourself is to help others. So guys, if you're out there and you might need some help, there's people out there like Vincent, like myself. We're here for you anytime. And if you guys want to start a podcast or write a book and don't know how, leave a comment. We'll get in touch with you and we'll, we'll try to give you whatever we can to help you get to where we are. All right, Vincent. Have an amazing week, guys. And just remember, vertical momentum. The only way to go is butt. I love you guys. Talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.